0: Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about proven tax strategies that business owners and real estate investors need to know to reduce taxes. Last week, we discussed tax strategies that you can use to offset non-passive income, such as income from a W-2 job or an active trader business. But today, we're going to be talking about tax strategies for business owners and real estate investors. So in addition to tax strategy and tax preparation services, we did recently relaunch our bookkeeping services for short-term rental investors. So if you're interested in getting the hassles of short-term rental bookkeeping off your hands so you could save time, be more organized, and make better financial decisions, then we would love to see how we can help. You can learn more about that by going to www.therealestatecpa.com slash accounting. Also, Brandon is releasing a new podcast. Brandon, you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so um, launching a new podcast. You know, we've done a lot of great work on this podcast. I think we've done a, a great job serving a market. What did we hit at one point? You just said eighty something. We eighty
0: one in April of this year, and last I checked today, yeah, earlier chart. this morning, we're at two thirty nine, which is still yeah. pretty all like on business podcasts. Which all the crazy. business
1: podcasts on Apple. So thank you, listener. You know, we put a lot of work into getting this out. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time and effort for us on an ongoing basis to produce good content. So thank you for listening and reviewing. Uh, But through the process of just kind of assessing what all is out there, I got this like itch to take what we're doing here and kind of elevate it to large operators. So there's not really a podcast. Uh, There's a couple of podcasts that are great for large operators, but it's not very saturated. Like there's just, there's not a lot of podcasts out there that target large-scale operators or people that want to become large-scale operators right like a lot of the real estate podcasts out there you know they, they bring on the the Instagram gurus who are really great at marketing and selling coaching and courses and stuff like that but I personally want to know how to build a large portfolio so with myself and my new co-host Dylan Brown we're launching the major league real estate podcast and that's going to be coming out here in a couple of weeks. And I'll tell you how to get on the wait list here in a second, but we're going to be bringing on large scale operators, think $50 million plus portfolios, large fund owners, general partners of large funds. And we're going to be asking them, how do you run your fund? How do you underwrite the deals? Like give us the nitty gritty. We're also going to be talking about the tax implications of large partnerships. So if you are raising a lot of capital, we're going to go through a lot of the tax issues and complications there. And we're going to be bringing on attorneys, much like we do here, to be talking about that. But it's all for large operators. So that's the Major League Real Estate Podcast launching here in a couple weeks, few weeks. If you want to get on the wait list for that, like want we'll to be one of the first to know when our episodes drop, uh, you can check us out at www.therealestatecpa.com slash MLRE for Major League Real Estate. So therealestatecpa.com, www.therealestatecpa.com. Slash M L R E. And uh, I hope that you'll find that content hard hitting and valuable, just like you did with this podcast.
0: All right. All right. So, with that being said, we'll drop that into the show notes for everybody who wants to go check that podcast out. When that launches, I want to let everybody know that we're not going to be going anywhere here on the Tax Smart REI podcast. It's going to be business as usual. And we're going to get more into those details over the coming weeks. So, having said that, let's just dive right into today's episode. And today we'll be talking about, again, in case you missed it earlier, tax strategies for business owners and real estate investors. So the first one up is something that many people often overlook. It's called the home office deduction. All right. So when you have a business or you run a real estate portfolio and you're active in that portfolio, and you're going to be able to have a home office. So the first thing with the home office deduction is that the part of your house that you use for your home office needs to be used exclusively For business purposes. So that means you can't have a den where your children play and have that be your home office. Now, having said that, you don't need to have an entire room necessarily dedicated to a home office. It could be part of a room that you siphon off. Maybe that corner where you have your desk could be your home office. But the point is that part of your home needs to be used exclusively for business. And that's the first step. The second step is that it has to be your principal place of business. All right. So if you have another office Where you're going every day and you're doing your work, maybe you're like a doctor or a dentist or something along those lines, then you're not gonna be able to generally claim that home office. However, if you are a real estate investor and real estate investors typically out and about doing different things during the day, maybe you're visiting your rental property, maybe you're going to Lowe's and picking up supplies, or maybe you're meeting with your attorney or different vendors and you're not really in your home office every day, you can still deduct or you can still claim the home office deduction rather. If your home office is the place where you handle your administrative activities, like your appointment setting, like your bookkeeping and that type of thing, that's kind of the home office deduction, how you qualify in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. I just want to emphasize the exclusive use piece, whatever part of your home that you dub your home office, it does have to be exclusive use, right? Like you can't be doing personal things in your home office and also business things and claim the home office deduction, it has to be exclusive use for your business. And there have been many taxpayers that have lost in tax court on that piece alone. So if you are going to take the home office deduction, just make sure that that use is exclusive for your business.
0: Absolutely. Now, when it comes to actually the home office deduction itself, so we just talked about how to qualify and what the requirements are to claim a home office, there are two ways you can deduct your home office. The first way is the simplified method which you can deduct $5 per square foot up to 300 square feet. So in other words, $1,500 will be your deduction. Very simple. The other way is the actual expense method, where you take a portion of the actual expenses related to your home, things like utilities, I think electric, water, gas, internet, things that apply to your entire home. And then you have the expenses you can deduct for the costs associated with your specific home office. So for example, you buy a chair for your home office that could be deductible under the home office expense. So one of them is the simplified method, the other one's the actual method. Obviously, the actual method comes with a little bit more administrative burden because you need to track your expenses and detail everything out, but that can be done. And now with the home office, one thing to be aware of is that a home office cannot create a loss for you. So you're not gonna be able to generate these big losses that can offset your active income. It can only offset your business income. So that's just something to be aware of. Now, you might be wondering, well, if I have rental real estate, I have all these losses. Why would I ever want to go out of my way to claim a home office deduction if I can't even take it, right? Like, What's the point? Well, that is an excellent question, and we do have an answer for you. And that brings us right into our second deduction. That is the vehicle deduction. So in order to claim vehicle deductions, you need to be traveling from a business location to a business location. And your primary residence typically is not going to be considered a business location. So if you travel from, say, your primary residence to Lowe's to go pick up supplies for your rental property, for example, that'd be considered a personal commute. However, if you have a home office, then your home is now considered a place of business. And now those miles from you drive from your home office to Lowe's or to Home Depot, wherever it may be. is now tax deductible. So that's kind of why you'd still want to have a home office, even if you can't take the deduction.
1: Good stuff. And then so for the mileage deduction, so there's multiple vehicle deductions, but we're talking here about mileage deductions. What do you need to substantiate the trips? Because mileage deductions, whenever somebody gets audited, that gets looked into with a fine tooth comb. So that is something that you have to have locked down if you're taking deductions for your business trips. What does the taxpayer need to keep on record in order to substantiate or prove that they actually took the trips that they're claiming?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So you're going to need an IRS compliant mileage log. So that's typically going to include your odometer at the beginning of the year, your odometer at the end of the year, as well as a log of each trip you took, including the amount of miles, where you went, and then um, the purpose of the trip. Now, You could keep it into like an Excel spreadsheet or in a notebook, although that would not be recommended in today's day and age. We are in 2023. There are plenty of applications that can do this for you. One of them being MileIQ. If I'm not mistaken, QBO has one as well that will tie directly into QBO and make that nice and seamless for you. And then there's other ones out there, but there are apps, like I said, that can help take the burden off of your shoulders and kind of keep everything nice and organized on your behalf.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is not one of those things that you want to do haphazardly. And if you are going to do it haphazardly, then just don't take the deduction. Right. You'll be right. setting yourself up for failure.
0: Right, right. But as we're going to talk about right now, you can see that the vehicle deduction can be quite powerful. So the first way to do it is the standard mileage deduction. And that's simply every year the IRS furnishes the mileage deduction, which is 2023 is 65.5 cents per mile you drive very simple calculation. The amount of business miles multiplied by 65.5% and you have your deduction. So that's kind of that's a simplified method. And that one actually works well for more investors than you might think. But then there's a the second one. And the second one is the actual expense method. And the actual expense method can be quite powerful if you can buy a vehicle that has a gross vehicle weight rating, GVWR, of 6,000 pounds or more, and you're able to use it 50% or more for business. And the reason for this is, is if you have that vehicle and it meets those requirements, you're able to use bonus depreciation to depreciate part of the vehicle in the first year. Kind of give you an example of the power of what this could be. Let's say that you bought a $70,000 Ford F-150. 70000 in this environment? i
1: all cars now like a hundred K it's crazy.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think that this might actually be, this might be a realistic example here. I don't know. I don't shop for Ford F one fifties, but let's just uh, suspend our disbelief. Not, for a okay. The
1: 70,000 Ford F one hundred and fifty is not going to be like fully loaded. Right. So it, it just depends on what type of person you are.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A- a- absolutely. Tom's a simple guy. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Okay. But, no,
1: sorry. Not a simple guy. Tom, Tom is a sharp guy. I didn't mean to say it like that. Tom is a guy that likes simple things.
0: My next vehicle is going to be a, most likely a Cadillac CT4. So oh, okay. Okay. that's not so really no. true. So
1: you like the sophistication. All right. So so if you if you bought a Ford out of F-150, you're probably looking at the 90, 90 to 100K range.
0: Yeah. The base trim starts at $33,695, right? And it goes up to $41,800. Now, when you go all the way up to the top tier, this is Kelly Blue Book, by the way. It's the top tier begins, the most luxurious tier. At eighty four thousand nine hundred ten dollars, so basically eighty five thousand dollars. Let's just say you you went with the eighty five thousand dollar option here, all right, and you used it seventy percent for business, right? You drove it seventy percent for business, and then you you had some personal trips you took with it, right? So that's going to give you fifty nine thousand five hundred dollars. That's going to be the amount that's eligible for bonus depreciation. Now we're recording this
1: for eighty percent, right?
0: Yep, it qualifies for 80%. Interrupted you're about to say that,
1: but yes, go ahead.
0: We're in 2023, it is 80%. So you'd be able to deduct $47,600. That would be your deduction using the, the actual expense method.
1: And can for- you add Section 179 on top of that?
0: You wouldn't in this case. You wouldn't for the purposes of most of our listeners because Section 179 cannot create a loss. So you would use bonus depreciation because bonus depreciation can create a loss. So... yeah. In this case, this $47,600 deduction from bonus depreciation would give you, if you were at, let's say you were at the 24% tax bracket, you're looking at an $11,424 deduction. Now, if you're at the 37% tax bracket, this is going to be worth $17,612 in tax savings for you. Hey, real quick, if you're a longtime listener of the show, then, you know, we give all of our tax secrets away for free from how to use the real estate professional status and short term rental loophole to save thousands of dollars in taxes and just about everything in between. We don't hold anything back. And that's because our goal is to help as many real estate investors as possible, reduce taxes and build tax advantage wealth, regardless of budget. And the only way we're able to help more real estate investors is if you can rate, review and share the podcast. If you could take that one small action, just drop us a review. It'll take like 10 seconds. It will help more real estate investors become tax smart. We appreciate your support. And now back to the show.
1: And when I sell the vehicle three years later,
0: now what? When you sell the vehicle three years later, you're going to be subject to depreciation recapture. Everybody's favorite tax.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it doesn't just, with vehicles, doesn't it just come out as ordinary income? I'm pretty sure it just like Yes, your return is ordinary so
0: so we're gonna get we're gonna get nerdy here so vehicles are five-year property section 1245 property which are is recaptured at ordinary income rates so you would pay recapture at your ordinary income rates whatever that rate is for you could be 37 percent could be 24 percent depends on how it crumbles
1: but the interesting thing about vehicles and this makes them unlike real estate is that vehicles the value actually depreciates over time Whereas real estate, you get the claim depreciation, but the value actually appreciates over time for the most part. So you don't run into many issues where somebody sells rental real estate and they have an actual loss. Uh, They've like actually like like the market value has significantly decreased. And the reason that's important is because with vehicles, you know, you bought it for 70, but if you sell it three years later, the value is probably 40. So you're only going to recapture up to the liquidation price. So if you take a deduction for, what was it, 40 something thousand?
0: Roughly $47,000. Yeah,
1: so if you take a deduction for $47,000, you might not actually recapture that entire amount whenever you liquidate at some later point because the actual value of the vehicle has decreased over time. So you're only going to recapture up to the liquidation price.
0: Right, right. But it can be quite powerful, especially uh, around year end if you're going to be using your vehicle a lot for business purposes, it can be a powerful deduction. And also, I have to add in here that with the actual expense method, you are deducting part of the actual expenses related to the vehicle, the gas, the tolls, the maintenance, the repairs, all that stuff, you actually are deducting a portion of that as well. So that's kind of... I also
1: just want to mention real quick that there's different schools of thought out here on this. I think that if you were to pull up Instagram or TikTok, you would see that any type of vehicle is going right. to qualify for this deduction as long as it's over 6,000 pounds. You know, I think that there is, even as much as I hate saying this, I think there is some merit to that. However, I think that you as the taxpayer need to be very careful in choosing the vehicle that you choose to to do this. If you are in construction, for example, and you buy a Lamborghini Urus or a G-Wagon, I think that you might have a hard time Substantiating that, if you were to ever be audited, how does a Lamborghini help you with your construction job? Right. Perhaps if you're a real estate agent and you are showing property to extremely rich clientele and you need that type of vehicle to impress them, that's where I think that that type of deduction does have some merit. But like, you know, you're not going to find that out here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Not to say that you listener are in Raleigh, I'm in Raleigh. So if you're a real estate agent, you know, if you come up to me locally here in Raleigh, you're like, yeah, I just bought a Lamborghini. Can I deduct that? I'll be like, no, because like, that's not the expectation here. But maybe if you're on Hollywood Hills or-
0: Or in the Hamptons. Something like that.
1: Yeah, or in the Hamptons, maybe that is appropriate. So just, you know, you don't want to, just like any type of business deduction, if it's excessive, you run the risk of it being disallowed. So just be careful. Don't don't go overboard here. and And always remember too, that at the end of the day, You are buying an asset that actually, actually depreciates in value. Like the value actually declines. Right. And that's not really where we're going to put our money in the long run. So,
0: but if you legitimately need a vehicle for your business, well, Hey, you have this uh, deduction that could be useful for you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're going to move into the next one and that's going to be paying your children. So paying your children is another awesome tax benefit of having a business. So you can do kill two birds with one stone. You get a tax deduction. Actually, maybe three birds. Be, you get a tax. To
1: be, de- be, be, be clear, <laughs> to be clear, we don't want to kill kill our kid birds.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, no, we're not killing birds. You just kill, you're just killing. We're not going to kill those birds. We want those birds to thrive. Right, 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 right. You're getting you're getting three, you, but you are getting kind of three benefits in one strategy here, right? You're getting the deduction for your business, so the amount of money you pay your children, which must be reasonable, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that in a second, will be a deduction for your business, reducing your taxable income. Then you're going to have your children, if you do it the right way, you pay them under the standard deduction, they're going to receive the money tax-free. So they receive tax-free money. And then you can actually use this tax-free money for them. You You could use it however you want. I get this question all the time. Hey, Tom, if I pay my children... And I give and I pay them. Can they use the money to buy stuff? Yeah, you can. But if you wanted to, you could contribute that money to a Roth IRA and build their retirement account for them, build it early. They can use that retirement account, that Roth IRA to fund their college education. Uh, they could take out the contributions at any time, tax penalty free. So it's a lot of good benefits with that Roth IRA. And the fourth benefit, the bonus benefit, I forgot to mention, is you get to teach your kids the value of hard work. So what's better than that, right? All with one strategy.
1: Yeah, it's a really nice strategy. Again, it's one of those areas though where people push the limits when just if you've learned anything from us over time of hosting this podcast, just know that you know that we believe in taking legitimate tax deductions and there's so much available to you just within the scope of legitimacy. So, you know, figure out okay, what what is my child actually capable of? what would be believable in terms of what they're capable of? A seven-year-old is not going to be doing your underwriting, right? The seven-year-old is not going to be doing the bookkeeping and wiring funds back and forth. So, you know, don't put them in that job role and don't pay them for that job role. But they could help you sweep up the, I don't know, like if a unit turns or something, you got to do some sweeping or if doing some light landscaping, like a, a young kid can help you with that. But you can't pay like a child landscaper, $10,000 to help you. (laughs) So just keep it, keep it legit, straight and narrow. These are real things that you can do, but these are not things that you decide to do today at the end of the year and like try to backtrack everything since the beginning of the year. That's where people set themselves up for failure. So if you want to start doing something like this, you can start now and it'll set you up for a great 2024. But. Just, again, make sure you're doing it legitimate. You have to have a job description. You have to actually pay them, right? You can't just move the money into your own bank account. Once the money's in their bank account, it is their money. And you got to pay them a reasonable wage for the work that they're doing. You can't pay a child model 10 grand. You can't pay a child landscaper 10 grand. Uh, it just It's just not very believable. So, again, do it right. But these are very good things to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When in doubt, you just pay minimum wage, right? So, real quick, before we go on to the next one, I just want to say that the home office deduction and vehicle deductions, and paying your children—I went in depth on master classes on each one of these in the insiders community. So, if you do want to check those out, want to get more details, want to learn how to do it the right way, I do have checklists in there on each one of these strategies to help you do this in the right way. So, you go to www.taxmaninvestors.com/slash-insiders. To start your 30-day free trial if you do want to check that out all of that is in there for you already now we're moving on to the next one and it's going to be for business owners who are active business owners if you own rental real estate you're not going to be able to use this strategy unless you have another business and that is going to be solo 401ks now we talked a little bit last week about 401ks iras in general but there's some significant tax benefits to having a solo 401k.
1: I guess we should also throw in there self-directed IRAs, right? Because you can still, or SEP IRAs, because you can still make these contributions that we're about to describe. So when you have a solo 401k or a SEP IRA and you're a business owner, you can make a contribution in 2023 is $66,000 that you can make to either of these types of accounts. Which is significant, right? So if you are running a business and you have a high amount of profits and you're trying to figure out what do I do to shelter these profits, running through a solo 401k or SEP IRA or self-directed IRA is viable for you. Now, there are different rules to the timing of the contribution. So solo 401k, you have to make the employee contribution by the end of the year. The employer contribution, you have a little bit more time. A SEP IRA, I believe you can make the full contribution all the way up to the day that you file your tax returns even if it's extended next year. So you get a little bit more time to make that contribution. There are also rules in terms of how much of a contribution you can make. So on the solo 401k side, if you've already contributed to another 401k as an employee, then you are reduced in your total contribution that you can make to your solo 401k. And then it also depends on how much you're being paid by your business that will drive or how much your profits are either way that will drive the total amount of the employer contribution or the total SEP IRA contribution that you can make. So make sure that you understand those rules. And the last thing that I'll say too is that these, these plans do require that you, you know pay attention to your business and how you've grown it and scaled it and all that type of stuff. Like You can't have a solo 401k when you have employees. So just be wary of the fact that when you add these types of strategies that you might also have to look at how your business is really running and, and operating before pulling the trigger on one of these,
0: right? Absolutely. But they are powerful strategies, so this is something that you're going to want to consider if you are a business owner. Having said that, I think we're out of time for today, actually. So, uh, if you do want to learn more about these strategies, we do have the Tax Smart Investors Facebook group. We could join the group, you could always ask questions, and you could learn more about joining at www.TaxSmartInvestors.com slash Facebook or you could join the insiders group where we already have a lot of these things outlined for you. Again, we'll drop that into the show notes for you, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Smart REI.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at realestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.